Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. The fact is, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how do we get the job done? Um, I want to welcome all of you here. I'm so glad that you're here for this um, weekend, our celebration of, of missions and what we're doing around the world. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, and then also take out your Bible study outlines. They're found here in the center of your bulletin. You can follow along and take notes today. Um, you see, God has a heart for this world. He does. And because of God's heart for the world, God has given to us as the church a mission. Now, the church has been in existence for, you know, about 2,000 years, but it's been real easy for the church to get distracted off of what we're called to do. Let me see if I can put it like this. I mean, every organization, every business has a mission, right? A calling. And it will exist as long as it fulfills its mission. Like as an example, okay? You go to a grocery store, a grocery store has a calling, a mission, and that is to provide groceries, right? Well, what if you went to a grocery store and said, hey, you know what, I'd like to buy some bananas. They go, well, we don't sell food here, but there's a banana tree, you know, you can, I mean, book on banana trees, you know, I can give you that. Or or maybe, you know what, you go to a university and you go to the registrar's office and you say, hey, I want to sign up for some classes. And they go, well, I'm, I'm sorry, we don't teach any classes here, but there's some bananas, Right? Now, you know, think about it. Those organizations, that university, that would not last very long, right? Because it's not fulfilling the mission, the calling of why it was created. Well, what is the mission and the calling of the creation of the church of Jesus Christ? Well, we know Jesus' final words to us before he ascended back to heaven. It's the marching orders of the church. It's found in Matthew chapter 28. We call it the Great Commission. Jesus says this in verse 18. Look at what God's word says. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I'm with you always. You know what that verse is saying? That's saying that Jesus is the king. He has all authority. And we as his subjects, we are to go in that authority to the ends of the earth and preach the good news. You go, okay, well, what's the good news? The good news of the gospel is simply this. We're sinners, <laughs> right? And Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Savior, who came to die on the cross in our place and for our sins. And to prove it, God raised him up from the dead and whosoever will call on Jesus to be their Lord will be forgiven of all their sins, given life and meaning in life and purpose in this life and eternal life when they die. That's good news. And we are to proclaim that good news, where? To the ends of the earth. So let me ask, how are we doing? That's our mission How are we doing as a church? Well, um, let me put it to it like this. There are 7 billion people on this planet. 7 billion people, right? Um, One third of them will claim to be Christian. That's all Christian denominations. One third of them claim to be Christians. So let's just assume that they're all Christian, okay? 
If that's the case, that means there's four and a half billion people on this planet that do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That when they die, they will not have experienced forgiveness of sins. And when they die and breathe their last breath, they will experience a devil's hell. You go, is that what the Bible says? Yes, it is. Look how the Apostle Paul puts this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Now, we can hear that and callously go, well, they should have received Jesus. Well, true, a lot of them should have, right? But let me say this. 1.7 billion of them have little to no access to the gospel. They don't even know who Jesus Christ is. They've never been told who Jesus Christ is. That's why the Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 10. He says this, and how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And see, that's why we as a church, we realize, okay, there's unreached people groups around this world. That's why Stephen and Megan Jones, what are they doing? They're going to an unreached people group. That's why we as a church, we've adopted an unreached people group, the Basoto people in East Asia. And what do we do? We're like, okay, they don't know the gospel. They don't even have the Bible in their heart language. So we as a church started getting the Bible translated in their heart language. This was the first book. There's five other books that we as a church are translating for them. And guess what? They're coming to faith now. See, that's, that's you. That's what God's doing in this church. And so there's 1.7 billion people on this planet who they have little to no access. Now, we talk about billions. It's a number to us, but we don't really comprehend how huge that is. Um, let me put it like this. A billion seconds ago, it was 1986, okay? A billion minutes ago, it was 117 AD. The early church was just going and the Romans were persecuting the early church. 1.7 billion minutes ago, it was 1213 BC. That's the time of the judges in the Old Testament. You understand, billion is a huge number. There's 1.7 billion people on this planet who've not yet ever heard. And yet, we, as the church of Jesus Christ in America, we close our eyes and we pretend the job's done. It's not. Do you know why? Because typically, Christians make excuses. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you the three most common excuses that I've heard people make. And can I just be honest with you? I've made all three of these excuses myself, okay? And so I want to give you the three excuses why the job's not done. And, um, and I just want you to think about yourself and which one you relate to the most, okay? The first excuse is this. Number one is this. Jot this down. I'm not called to missions, I'm not called to missions, as if missions is this optional program for some elite Christians out there. You know, you got the missionaries, and then you got the rest of us, and so that's for them. It's, it's not really for us, right? As though we can pick and choose which commands of Jesus we obey. I mean, look at how Jesus again puts this in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, now, so many Christians will read that verse and go, oh, that's not for me. <laughs> that's for somebody else. That's for those elite Christians. That command's not for me, right? But then they'll read another command from Jesus, like, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we hear that and go, that one's for me. Amen, amen, I accept that one. Woohoo! yeah, right? 
But then we hear other commands of Jesus, like Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that says, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And we go, well, that one's not for me. That's for this is other people. That's not for me, right? Right? But then we hear other commands like, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And go, oh, that's for me. I like that one, right? I mean, how is it that we get to pick and choose which commands we choose to obey? See, it's, it's amazing, as American Christians, what do we want to do? We want all the benefits of Christianity, but we don't want any of the responsibilities and the obligations. And so what we do as Christians is that we're like, okay, you know what? I don't have to be involved in missions. Now, I get it. Not all of us are going to go overseas and have a career in missions. I get that. But we are all called to missions. In fact, turn to the person next to you and just say, you're called to missions, You're called to missions. You're called to missions. Imagine like this. Imagine you're standing on, you know, the bank of a river and two kids fall in and they're drowning. And, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to stand by and go, well, I haven't gotten an official call to rescue them. And so I'm just going to stand here and watch them drown. Or, you know what? I don't feel trained. I'm not a trained EMT. And so I can't go in there and rescue them. No. The urgency of the moment compels you to respond, right? Well, the urgency of the moment compels us to respond. Christ has commanded us to go. Now, we can go and we rationalize it. We hear all these spiritual ways that Christians say it. Well, I just don't have a heart for the world. Then you don't have the heart of God. Because God has a heart for the world. I mean, a verse that we all know, it's probably the most popular verse in the Bible, is John three sixteen, Right? For God so loved the world. Well, I, I, just, I just have a heart for the United States. Then you only have 5% of God's heart. Because 95% live outside of the United States. And so God expects us to get in on his heart, which is missions. In fact, let me answer that lie, we're not called to missions, with the biblical truth. Jot this on your outline. We are all debtors to the gospel. We're all debtors to the gospel. You know, what does that mean? That means if you've experienced the forgiveness of sins through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have an obligation to tell somebody else. I mean, I remember whenever I first became a follower of Christ, I was almost 20 years old and heard the gospel and God transformed me. I mean, my life was spiraling into destruction. I was alcoholic and sexually immoral. And my goodness, I was just, it was destructive. And God rescued me and saved me. Hallelujah. That's the power of the gospel. Well, I knew immediately I need to tell somebody, right? I mean, intuitively, we know I'm supposed to tell somebody. I mean, it's just like the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. As soon as the Apostle Paul receives Christ, what does he immediately do? He starts telling other people about it. You go, why? Well, he tells you why later on in the book of Romans chapter 1. Look at this passage. Paul says this in Romans 1.14. He says, I am under obligation, both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel, verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. In your outline circle, under obligation. Some translations means say, I am a debtor. You are in debt. If you have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have an obligation, you have a debt to now share that good news with somebody that has never heard it. Why? Because it is the power of God and the salvation. 
How in the world can we sit in the churches saved and forgiven and make excuses of why we're not going to let the rest of the world know that? That's a, that's a lie. And you know what? I've said that lie before. It's not true. We are all called to missions. There's a second reason why the job's not done, and it's the second excuse. Jot this on your outline. I don't have money to give to missions. I don't have any money to give to missions. Because we understand, you know what? To do this task of missions, it's an expensive task. To reach the 1.7 billion people who've never heard, the reason why they've never heard is because they're in pretty remote areas of this world, right? And so it's, it's a costly thing. And so if we're going to really financially do this thing called missions, we've got to rearrange our priorities and our lifestyles. But as Americans, we don't seem to want to do that. You see, I really believe that the American church has a blind spot. And you go, in what way? Well, I think the blind spot we have today is as big as the blind spot that the church in the South had 150 years ago. Now, you remember 150 years ago in the South... Christians, many of them, owned slaves. We think back now and go, what in the world were you thinking, right? How did you justify owning people, right? I mean, and yet they did. They rationalized it. They, they read the same Bible we do. They worship the same Jesus as us. And yet, you know what? They rationalized that. It's a huge blind spot, right? You know what? I think that the church and Christians 150 years from now are going to look back at this generation and go, what in the world were you thinking? Did you really think that God blessed you in all these ways just so you could up your lifestyle? Do you really think God blessed you with the affluence of this culture so that you could just spend it on yourselves? Is that really what you thought? Yeah, yeah that's exactly what we think. So what I want you to do is I want you to contrast what you have with the rest of the world. Jot this on your outline. Compare your income with the world. Compare your income with the world. You see, I've got these statistics I put on your outline. And the World Bank basically does a comparison. They take all the financial factors and comparisons and they put it in U.S. dollar comparisons so we can understand it well. And this is what they discover that 35% of the world's population are what's classified as low income. That means they survive on about $1,000 a year, 37% of the world. You go, no. Yes, that's exactly what they survive on. 39% of the world's classified as lower middle income, and they, have a, they survive on a whopping $4,000 a year. So what does that mean? That means 5 billion people on this planet survive on, oh, basically $4,000 or less a year. 5 billion people. Then there's the, you know, middle, upper middle class. They, they have like $12,000 a year. That's about 12% of the world population. Then you have the upper income. That's about 10% of the world population. They survive on $25,000 a year, okay? And so if you make $25,000 or more, you're in the top 12% of the world's wealth, okay? And then if you make $50,000 a year, you're in the top 2%, the most wealthiest people in the world. Now, the average Christian household here in America, we average $42,409. That puts us at 2.5% of the most wealthiest people in the world. Now, you go, I don't feel very rich. 
You got clean water, you got food, you got a shelter, you're very rich compared to the rest of the world. Now, you go, okay, well, that's, we, we've got all this wealth. I mean, we must be the most generous people there are, right? Well, here's the other side. How much of it do we give away? Well, average Christians give 2.5% of what they have to all charities, to churches and all charities. I mean, the Bible says the starting place is the tithe, 10%, but, you know, average Christian, oh, two and a half, okay? And then the average church, you know, takes the money that's brought in, and they give about 2% of that away to missions. Praise God, our church gives way above that. We give about a million dollars away, okay, every year. But, okay, average church, though, is about 2%. And so what does that mean? Jot this on your outline. For every $100 that we bring in, the average Christian gives, let's say, five cents to overseas missions. Five cents to overseas missions. Now, let's do a little comparison. You go, what does that mean? That means that the average Christian will spend one and a half times more on chewing gum every year than they do on missions. The average Christian will spend um, two times more on face cream than we do on missions every year. The average Christian will spend five times more on their pets every year than we do on missions. The average Christian will spend um, seven times more on sweets every year than they do on missions, which also means, it tells you why, we will um, spend 17 times more on dietary products and diets than we will on missions every year. Um, as, um, as Christians, we'll spend 20 times more on sports and sports events than we will on missions every year. And we will spend a whopping 26 times more on soft drinks than we will on missions every year. You see, we keep saying, I've got no money to give to missions. We've got the money. We just don't have the heart of God. We don't have the priority of God. We've got to change the way we look at our life and see ourselves compared to the rest of the world. That's the second excuse. I've got no money. There's a third excuse that we have, and it's this. I don't have any time. I don't have any time. I mean, I'm busy. I can't go on some short-term mission trip. I'm a, I'm a busy person. And you, get, you know what? We're all busy. Sure we are. We're all busy. In fact, you know, the fact is, is that we got busy schedules. You got your kids' ball games, and you got your meetings, and you got your work obligations. You got a household task. I mean, somebody's got to, you know, buy the groceries and cook the groceries and clean up after the meal, and somebody's got to clean the toilets and mow the grass and pay the bills. Yeah, we're all busy. We get it. We're all busy, right? We are. In fact, see if you can, you know, relate to this article that was written about Americans' busyness. Look at it here. It says this. There's too much going on. Try as you will but you keep getting behind. It's an incessant strain to keep pace and you, you still lose ground. And everything is high pressure and the human nature cannot endure much more. Can you relate to that? You go, when was that written? Was that last week, last month, last year? No, it was actually written 180 years ago. It's the Atlantic Journal, June 16th, 1833. You go, what does that mean? That means as long as there's been humans, we have struggled with our time management. We've always been busy. We've always been busy. And so we say we have no time. And yet, statistics tell us that the average American adult will spend 33 hours a week watching television. 
we got no time for world missions or God, but we got to spend 33 hours a week binge watching our Netflix and, and fi- seeing our favorite program every week, right? Right? Now, what do we spend the most time on? We spend the most time at work, obviously, and then sleeping and then television. That's the big three of what we spend the most time on. And the Bible says that we need to manage our time wisely. Look at how the Apostle Paul puts this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says this, making the best use of your time. Why? Because the times are evil. We live in evil days, and so we got to manage our time wisely. We all have the same hours. We all get 24 hours a day. And one day, you will stand before the Lord. And I want you to stand before the Lord and go, well, you know, I know I lived in in evil times. And for the 70, 80 years you gave me, you know, I I know I spent 20% of it in front of the television. And I didn't have any time to go on a short-term trip. I, I know I didn't do anything to try to, with my time to, you know, get rid of the evil. How do you think that's going to fly? No, we've got to realize, okay, I've got to make changes in my time to join God in this thing called missions. In fact, jot down an amazing principle. Jot this on your outline. When you make time to go, it changes you. Whenever you make time, you know what? I'm going to go on a short-term trip. It changes you. Now, I get it. Not all of us are going to go career and spend our entire lives overseas. But you know what? If you just go on a short-term trip locally or nationally or globally, I'm telling you, it will rock your world. It will change you. Just give 2% of your days to go on mission. What does that equal? Well, let's see. 2% is seven days in a year. Okay? If you could say, I'm going I'm to dedicate seven days of my next 12 months, and I'm going to go on a short-term, short-term mission somewhere. You know what would happen? It will rock your world. It will. In fact, you know, we have like 4,000 every weekend and all nine of our weekend services. If you just took half of those, half of those individuals, and they went on a short-term mission trip for seven days, you know what would happen? Our 16 world partners, you know what we'd be able to do? We would be able to send them a mission team every month of the year, and there'd be 10 people on each one of those trips. We'd rock those missionaries. We'd rock this world. It would rock your world. You give God 2% of your time, and he will transform the other 98%. Let me see if I can illustrate it like this. I've got several volunteers. If y'all come up here on stage and just join me right here. And these seven folks here are going to represent, um, they're going to represent the church. So come on over this way, okay? And um, what I want you to do is I just want you to get in a circle and hold hands. So y'all get in a circle. There you go. Awesome, okay? So you see this right here. This represents the church, this is the typical church in America. They try to be unified. Okay, they're all together here. Here's the typical church. And things go great for a while. But you know what happens after a while? You know, these guys start looking at each other after a while. They're just get tired of looking at each other after a while, right? And they're going to start griping and complaining about each other and, you know, and, you know all these kind of things. And, and that's what happens in the church, Right? I mean, we start grabbing and complaining. We don't like the music, or we don't like, you know, the temperature was too cold, or, you know what, this is inconvenient, or the children's ministry, or the, the youth ministry isn't quite exactly what my child needs. And, you know, and we just, you know, the color of the pews and whatever it may be. I mean, goodness gracious, you know, we've seen it so many times. That's typically how church operates, right? 
Now, that's not the way the church is supposed to operate. I want all of you all to just turn around, face out, okay? And now join hands again. Turn around. Yep, nope. Yep, there you go. All right. And so, now what's happening here? This is still the church, still unified, but what's happening? Their focus is outward. Can I tell you, God rocks the world with a church like that? Okay, let's give them a hand. Thank you all so much. That's what the church is supposed to look like. And can I tell you, whenever you do that, whenever you go global with God, it will change you locally. It will. You go on a short-term mission trip, and you see a mom trying to comfort a crying baby, and the baby won't stop crying. And you know why? Because the baby is covered up with parasites and worms. And you see that, and God touches your heart with that, you don't have a problem taking care of crying babies in our nursery. Why? Because you've seen the world, and it changes you locally. Or you go on a short-term mission trip, and you see a homeless boy. He doesn't have a shirt. He has no shoes. He has no parents. His alarm clock is waking up whenever the pavement is too hot for him to lay on it anymore. And he spends his entire day trying to peddle some gum so that he can have one meal to eat. And you go, that is one-third of our world. And when you see that, you realize, I ain't got no problems. All the things, all the inconveniences and annoyances, they ain't problems. Oh, my goodness, my, my garage door's not quite working. Or, you know what, my, my power window keeps getting jammed. Or, I just don't have good Wi-Fi in the bathroom, so I can't look at my Instagram while I'm going potty. See, we don't have problems. We got rich people problems. That's our problems. We have no problems. But you go overseas and see the way the rest of the world lives, it gives you such a different perspective of how to live now. God's got a heart for the world. He does see the world. We don't. We close our eyes and pretend the job's done. And because of that, we keep making excuses. God has called every one of you to missions. You're called to adjust your lifestyle to give to missions. You're called to adjust your schedule to go on missions. And when you do, guess what? We'll get this job done. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.